This is Hunt Nebraska, the official podcast for insight into Nebraska's hunting and shooting sports community. Be sure to give us a follow on Facebook, our space for sharing stories, information, tips, and techniques. Now, Hunt Nebraska. All right, we are back. We're, we're hanging out th- today. Yep. The How to Deer series in the books. You'll learn to hunt cabin here. Yep. My goodness. And and now we, we've got more, folks. We're having all sorts of critical stuff that we need to discuss when it comes to hunting. I'm Hershey. He's Jeff, both with Nebraska Game and Parks Commission. And today, for your listening and or viewing pleasure, if you're catching us on YouTube, one hunter yeah. from the National Wild Turkey Federation. Happy to be here. Yeah. So, uh, real quick, we'll give folks a rundown. If you haven't already, go to our Facebook page, Hunt Nebraska. Give a click on there. That's uh, where the the folks that hunt and do some recreational shooting and all that fun stuff and get their information directly from the Nebraska Game of Parks can do just that. So, give that a like and make sure that you uh, jump on. Uh, well any of the uh, the audio apps or YouTube there that, that uh, you found us on first and give us a subscribe, give us a, a thumbs up and all that good stuff so you know when the next uh, podcast of Hunt Nebraska uh, hits the, the airwaves. All right, today we're talking a little Hunter lingo, and so we brought in Hunter. Hunter, Hunter. Hunter I mean, that, that yeah. makes sense. So this is the first time you've been on this, this podcast, Hunter. Yes, it is. I'm excited to be here, like I said, and looking – Looking forward to giving the people what they want when destined, it comes to Hunter Lingo. Oh, this is going to be good. You were destined to work oh. in this world. I mean, your parents even named you correctly. Right. I mean, that, that yeah. was a good move. Now, the, the good news is you're happy. You can tell we're just starting to, the podcast here because usually by the end of the podcast, most folks, uh, you know, maybe a little less happy to be part of the There's podcast. Been crying. There's there, been some crying. There's been some crying. All right. All right. Bit, yeah. most, be, most folks have been able to, uh, you know, recover professionally, Hunter, so so keep that in mind. Most. Yeah, most. Uh, but, uh, folks, we are here to talk about words and phrases and things that hunters say, not just our hunter, but all hunters uh, across this great state and nation. And sometimes it's like we're speaking our own language. We are speaking our own language. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're no probably right. about it. Because we've got words and terms that we use, and we just assume everybody knows what we're talking about. Uh, and we're going to go over yep. some of those, especially if you're new to hunting. Maybe if you've been doing it for quite a few years, and you're wondering, well, what does that mean? You know, that sounds like a made-up thing. Uh, hey, that's that's part of the fun. We get to use words and terms that you probably don't get to use many other places, uh, and they have very specific meanings. So we're going to jump right into this. All right. You guys ready? Do it. Do it. Are, are you guys ready? Hunter lingo and, and this is one it's deer season here in the state of nebraska uh, obviously the rut jeff kicking on oh it's, it really it's, is it's, it's in swing yeah it's, it's it's really getting going here so we dream about it as deer hunters in nebraska what is the rut we've actually asked people you know what are some of the terms that you hear hunters use that you don't understand what it is and rut yeah. comes back and we use that one a lot we, well we really do and it's an exciting time for hunters because that's when deer are running all out through the deer woods like crazy and that gives us an opportunity uh to get to get uh, in contact with deer the rut generally is the breeding season for deer i mean that's just in a, in a nutshell that's kind of what it is but there's different phases of that breeding season there's that point you know and we get into late september early october where deer are starting to make sign they're rubbing on trees they're making scrapes we can talk 
talk about those later, but they're leaving deer sign in the woods. Uh, they're starting to get a little aggressive with each other as we move into late October, uh, like where we're at right now, uh, getting pretty aggressive with each other. And then they get into that chasing phase where they start chasing does early November. And then if we get into early to mid November breeding phase where they're actually can care less, maybe about chasing other bucks off and fighting. They like to be with those does and those does are receptive. That's all caused by the change in day length as the day length gets shorter that causes the rut to take off so that in an essence in a in a 30 second interview that's the rut so that basically their breeding season their and breeding all season. the things that go into that which is which is pretty cool now hunter this is one that we really get excited about as soon as we start seeing and jeff you kind of alluded to it rubs and scrapes people yep. hear us talk about that but you know what's the difference yep so a rub is is one a deer or a buck de- a buck is going to be rubbing their antlers on a tree um and and when you're out out scouting and out um, looking for deer, you're gonna want to look for open open bark basically, um, where that gash where that, that buck yeah. gash that tree open. Yep, and then a scrape is down on the ground um, where a buck's rubbing and tearing that that ground up with their foot, uh, marking their territory and leaving their scent, uh, usually above it on a on a stick or a, a branch that overhangs that spot. Um, and they'll revisit those spots. Um, other bucks will come through and visit those spots um, as a mark of territory too. Um, so shows the kick of kick off of the rut. Um, it's really what hunters are out there looking oh, for when they're we scouting. See those for, things. We're we're excited. We're excited. And those rubs, like you said, they're up on that tree, so they're a little bit more visible because it's like, oh, where'd the bark go? Why why is that tree rubbed yeah. up that high? Uh, no problem. Those scrapes a little bit more difficult at times because they're on the ground. Sometimes we see them and and. You know, if you're not looking for them, it's easy to walk right past. I really think that that torn up ground can disappear. Now, the fun fact is they also urinate in them, and not just urinate in them, folks. They squat down, get that uh, urine flowing through their tarsal glands on both bucks and does to add a little scent out there. <laughs> and that's what sometimes you smell if you harvest, especially a, a antler deer, a buck here in Nebraska during the rut. You're going to smell that. No, oh, that tarsal gland, tarsal gland is. Right. Yeah, no question. It about is. It. No mistaking that on the, the, on the hind leg. On the hind, hind legs. Yep. Yep. Yeah, we can go through glands and all sorts of things. There's a lot of glands that are there. They speak through their nose and their, their sense of smell uh, there in the uh, uh, the deer was to say the least. Uh, so that we got we got the main things with this the, the rut things you look for in the rut uh, as far as rubs and scrapes. Now we're gonna go to, to one here and this is one I'm gonna toss this out to both of you. Because you hear hunters talking about where I'm going to hunt. And folks know, all right, bedding area, that makes sense. Where deer bed. Feeding area, hey, there's food there. Uh, also, you know, pretty straightforward. But you hear a lot of hunters say, I'm looking for a pinch point. I'm looking for a funnel. Yeah. Uh, and there's some other names in there as as well. High banks and, and uh, highways and, and all that type of stuff. What is that? Yeah. You know, I'll jump in here first, and, and Hunter, you can add to it. But, you know, a pinch point or a funnel is just what that means. It's it's an area that funnels or pinches deer activity into a tiny area. And I always tell people it's kind of analogous to your hallway in the house. You know, you got all these rooms on one side of the house, all these rooms on the other side. But when you walk down that hallway, that pinches you into about a four-foot area. And that's, that's you know, same in the deer woods. And so you got a lot of woods, a lot of grass area, and all of a sudden a fence line that connects those two, pinches those deer maybe really tight or 
the, the, the draw narrows to 30, 40 feet, uh, pinches those deer in real tight. They don't want to leave that sanct- the sanctity of that area, so they want to stay in that area. So it gives hunters an opportunity to get a lot closer to deer because those are areas, those pinch points or funnels are just going to be natural areas that deer can't avoid being you know, too far away from your stand. Yeah, trail intersections, things yep, like yep. that. And, and what's the beauty of that, Hunter, is obviously – what deer kind of move more likely to move through that area right. with all those different and options. I was out this past weekend actually sitting in, we call them in Wisconsin necks typically, neck or pinch point. Bottlenecks. Yeah, yeah. bottlenecks. Um, and exactly that. You're, there's a big set of woods I was I was hunting, and then there was a, a, a jut out of about 100 yards um, set of woods in between a, a prairie and an ag field. And that that little patch there had, had a lot of deer trails and deer signed through it, and I found – um, a scrape line through there as well. So <laughs> your your odds of seeing deer um, moving through there are going to be greater, and you're going to be able to get a lot closer to them with some provided cover for you as well because the deer want to remain in that cover as best they can. Yeah, exactly. The more opportunity, the more confidence you think you're going to have of seeing a deer, the longer you sit. Absolutely. Good point. Yep. Uh, yep. The, the less Halloween candy you have to consume just to stay alert there on the, on the, I wouldn't stand. go that far. I wouldn't say you have to oh. consume less. I don't think uh, there's any correlation there whatsoever. I, oh, definitely. I, I think so. We're going to have to do a study on that one. <laughs> We're going to have to do a study on it's that personal one. preference. That's a good one. Now here's one that I, I really haven't heard used a lot here in Nebraska, but it is an important one. You hear it in a lot of other States, especially those uh, that have a lot of timber or, you know, hilly country, not that we don't, but, uh, uh, it seems the the higher and more dense the woods, the more you hear this term using that saddle. Who wants to tackle that one? Hunter, do you 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 come from a state with a little bit more trees than perhaps uh, Nebraska? So yeah, I haven't saddle hunted before. Um, I typically use a, a climber or a ladder stand, but I know they're they're becoming more popularity um, with with use. I re- assume you're referring to a saddle. Well, you know, that's an excellent point. No, I wasn't. Okay, oh, well. Boom. Let's go there. There are <laughs> yeah. stands, yeah. 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 Kind of fill a gap in a tree, so to speak. Right. It's a method of, of kind of hanging out sure. in a tree without a, a solid stand. But what, what saddle are you referring to? This is to? how confusing our lingo really is. <laughs> yeah, right it is. Yeah. You know, that's an excellent point because we changed this. Back in the day, yeah. you know, that was more of a terrain feature. Uh, yeah, and saddles. now it is probably more of a, a hunting style or, or what you hunt from. You just have to watch out for the saddle horn, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, what did you know saddle as growing up? Well, and, and again, yeah, I look at saddle as terrain. This is why our, our lingo is confusing sometimes. You know, we say I'm going to hunt that saddle. Uh, it, usually it's a terrain feature because you might have two ridges and the, the, the connecting the saddle between those ridges that's generally a lower uh, point uh, is where just like if you were going to hike those hills, you'd go up that saddle, not climb the peak, right? You go up through that saddle. That's what game do. Big game want to go up that saddle when they're climbing or coming down off ridges. And so those are natural areas to hunt because that's where, again, talking about a funnel, funnels more game into that particular area. You're going to see more game versus trying to hunt, you know, ridges or ridge points where it's just a lot of work. Why would a deer want to climb a ridge and up on a peak when it can go up through that saddle, which is just a lot easier to climb. And that's when, like I said, it seems like the the more hilly the terrain, the more rugged the country, more timbered it is, you really look for those. And out in western Nebraska, yeah. I think you really can key on that. you got to kind of have an eye for it at times uh, out there as well. All right, we're going to get into the, the – uh, we're going to get in the field of stink. All right, scent control. We hear it uh, quite a bit uh, as hunters, as – uh, folks that are just listening to hunters and things like that in deer season, we really worry about our stink and that scent control. So, so uh, Jeff, I know that you kind of get into this just a little bit. 
Yeah, I stink. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> let's let's talk about scent control. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, scent control is you, nothing you can do to control the area around you. Really, nothing you can do to control deer scent, but uh, you control how you smell to some degree. And to a deer, you stink. And I and I hate to tell you that. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but we do. And deer have an incredible nose. What do we say? Eight hundred times more powerful than a, than your your best hunting dog. I mean, incredible nose. And uh, and so uh, we control our scent. You know, guys and gals do all kinds of things from washing their clothes and special detergents and then zipping them in a Ziploc clothes bag and throwing them in a pile of cedar chips and doing all kinds of things to make sure that uh, that their scent is different than what it might appear to be to a deer. And uh, and then, of course, you know, all kinds of scents that they might use in the field. I'm not a big believer in all that, but, uh, you know, scent control is also hunting with your nose to the wind, controlling what scent that deer will smell when it comes into you. And so there's a lot of ways to control your scent. Yeah, but you do need to you do need to worry about your scent when it comes to deer. You can't really fool a deer's nose very easily, but you're not going to harvest a lot of deer if they can smell you. They've got to smell something. Yeah, nothing can smell like nothing. And so, like you said, you can limit it. Uh, there's certain things on the market to kill it. There's yeah. cover scents. Have, have you ever used any of the cover scents, Hunter? Uh, I'm not big into cover scents. I I do use doestrus um, when the when the rut comes, but I'm more so, like Jeff said, like to position myself using the wind. Getting getting up in a tree and getting my scent up above them more so than I do controlling that scent with with product from the store. But um, I know guys are big into it, guys and gals alike, and it's it's a, a big heated debate on what you need to do to control that scent because um, deer can smell you. Oh. Yeah, you know, there's stuff you can spray that actually breaks down your scent molecules at the mm-hmm. molecular level. Those are kind of interesting. They, you know, there's some success with those. I think there's people that might swear by them, others that might not. But uh, and then there's others that mask your scent. You know, you want to smell like an apple, or you want to smell like a you know cedar or pine. That's not bad because it smells a lot better than we do to a deer. But masking your scent really is only going to probably confuse deer for a brief moment. It isn't like deer are going to come right up that 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 trail right to you uh, because they'll figure that out. But if we can confuse them. A little bit that can work in your favor but there's a lot of things we do but i agree hunting with your nose to the wind is numbers is probably you know priority number one there you go there you go attractants that's another thing you know yep. they've got f- food flavors and scents and things like that as well as the they just, the make me hungry. They just tend to make me hungry. <laughs> estrus and yeah, all that I'm, so i'm not a big attractant well it's it, it always is fun because some yeah. of the folks that uh uh, you know, hygiene isn't all that important until you get to deer season. Then all of a sudden, they're the best scrubbed and most washed individuals that you'll probably meet. It really can be. Here's one, and these are actually two terms. These are two terms that I kind of have some troubles with. They're, they're words that pop in and pop out of the lingo quite a bit. You'll When you're reading magazines or listening to a, a video or another podcast, you're going to hear these words used quite a bit, especially on field edges. Inside corner and outside corner. And I got to tell you, these kind of confuse me at time. I got to think of inside corner, outside. Which one is this? I don't know. It's a corner. Um, but that doesn't count anymore in deer hunting. You got to be really specific. So let's start with uh, a uh, outside corner. Uh, Jeff, you want to tackle sure. that? And then we'll let Hunter yeah. tackle the yeah. inside corner. Because sure. there's To me, an outside corner is uh, that area where the, the woods or something might jet out into a field. That's your outside corner. Uh, the... Uh, you know, the corner that takes a deer outside of their, their core area, their core cover uh, into the field. Uh, so, you know, those could be, you know, extensions of a draw or just the corner edge of a woodlot or what have you. So that's the outside that's edge. That's the outside. And the inside edge? Yep, the inside corner then is kind of the opposite of that where, where, those, where those wood points come together, um, kind of on the inside 
edge of a of a field or a, a break in different habitat types. So um, if you think of it kind of like your concave point where those two wood edge wood edges come together. Concave um, point. And really a, a, a nice travel. Again, those deer want to stay inside inside the, that cover. So deer traveling through there and want to stay want to stay it, along that. Leave it to Hunter to add geometry. Oh, I, I was impressed. <laughs> Concave like, inside. Big words, oh, my goodness. Stuff. Geometry to deer hunting. I, I know this is going to be tough on me now. But that's one you hear quite a bit. Inside corner, outside corner. I think I, I can't argue with what you guys are, are saying. Like I said, I think we used to call a lot of them draws and waterways and, and things like that. So uh, off we go. And here's one. I'm going to wrap this up with deer, and then we're going to get into some other things because we got some other hunts coming up and seasons that are uh, happening now. Uh, but let's talk about it. Let's finish it up where every successful deer hunt ends, and that's field dressing and then processing. A lot of folks try to use those words interchangeably, Hunter, but they're really not. So uh, let's kick it off. What's the difference between field dressing and processing? Yep, so field dressing is immediately after you you harvest an animal you're going to want to get the innards so your all your guts and all your inside organs out of that deer right away um and that is um your field processing your deer uh and then field dressing sorry and then your processing your deer takes place typically out of the field where you're skinning the deer quartering the deer and then breaking it down into your select cuts um all the way for storage into the freezer um so so basically, put simply, your your field dressings in the field. Your your processing takes place kind of back at home when you're or at the processor where they break that meat down and, and get it ready to go for for cooking. My, it makes sense to me. Those are two important steps in the whole uh, getting your deer from field into the uh, into the freezer or on the table and all that good stuff. So, uh, guys, am I missing anything that you want to talk about in deer when it comes to lingo on the deer hunt? Thousands of words we're missing, but yeah, we're, we got to end it somewhere. We got to end it. All right. Well, we're not ending it, just the deer piece, because this weekend, uh, pheasant season opens up yeah. for all, all of us here in the state of Nebraska. The youth got a crack at it last weekend. Now we're recording that just a, a couple of days ahead of, of uh, the pheasant and quail season. By the time we get this out, it might be right uh, after or just has recently opened up. But this is kind of a fun one. So we're going to get into the upland bird world. All right. And this one here, this one's... When you hear a lot of pheasant hunters talk about CRP, and I'm going to go hunt that CRP field. Oh, how's, how's the CRP field looking? All that type of stuff. And this is actually, there's more to it than just three letters, Jeff. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, CRP is the Conservation Reserve Program. And, of course, what that, what that means is there's land that uh, uh, has been set aside, land that isn't generally as farmable, it's highly, maybe highly erodible, uh, that didn't make great farm ground, and Congress enacted the CRP program to set aside that land, pay, pay landowners for setting that land aside and planting it back to wildlife habitat. Uh, the benefits have been uh, just incredible all across the United States, not just for hunting. Hunting is a small part of that. Huge benefits to wildlife, huge benefits to protecting our, our soils and our lands and our, our, our ag fields and our, and our habitat fields and whatnot. But uh, that CRP planted back to native grasses, a lot of mixed and tall grass type uh, grasses and, and, and forbs and, and, and plant, you know, various plants that uh, provide cover and food and shelter for a lot of our wildlife, provide hunters a place to go and hunt uh, and provide wildlife access and viewing for you know, uh, all, of our, all of our citizens here in Nebraska and protect that soil from, from moving or becoming erodible. So huge, huge bonus for Nebraska and for the Midwest, highly important program. Oh, it really is. It makes Spot a huge on. difference. And uh, when it's prime, 
lot of birds that can can make use of that. All right, Hunter. Now, in a pheasant stay, you'll hear a lot of people talk about uh, what they're doing. And early on, you know, they're talking about pheasants uh, in roosting cover or in they're, they're on the roost or anything along those lines. So what does that mean to the hunter that's going out looking for birds early? What is, what, you know, what is a roost and, and why is it important? Yeah, roost is important because that's, I mean, your start of your day and start of your pheasant, your pheasant hunt. That's where the, the birds are going to be in the morning, right? They're going to be. They're going to be roosting there, um, and you really uh, that's kind of the key and starting point as a pheasant hunter when you're starting your day is finding those pheasants first off. When you uh, think of a roost for pheasants, what kind of what kind of things are you looking for, Jeff? Gnarliest, thickest cover I usually can find. Now it depends. Now, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, early season like where we're at right now, it may just be weedy fields. You know, edges. You know, ed- uh, edges of weedy fields. As the winter goes on and it gets colder and snowier, the thickest, you know, gnarliest cover uh, that you can find is generally going to hold more birds. And uh, it's just like you know, you know. Uh, waterfowl roost on a pond turkeys roost in a tree pheasants roost on the ground so they need protection uh from predators and that's what gives them protection so roost all right we got that figured out feeding areas again pretty straightforward that's where they're finding the seeds and the the leftover grains and types of things like that that they need to to eat uh another fun term and this one here i always get a kick out of because uh it's loaf because upland birds do loaf and folks basically in my opinion what that means is they're not feeding they're not roosting it's not the breeding season or the pheasant rut if you want to call it that so we got to come up with the term so they're loafing they're just taking it easy what is loaf cover though jeff yeah and, and and again you think about it in transitions of what a bird's doing and what it needs you know it's it's roosting in that heavier, gnarlier cover. Then it makes its way out into those grain fields or wherever it's going to be eating. Could be grassland, grain fields, uh, wherever, depending on what its uh, food source is going to be. And then it's, you know, it's out in those grain fields. It's, it's pretty visible. They don't want to spend all day being visible out there. So they might make their way back toward maybe roosting cover, but it's not quite going into the thick, gnarly stuff they were in sleeping because they want to be close to the grain fields. They want to be able to move around. So it's kind of a, a, a medium, if you will, cover. Could be grassland, fence rows, what have you. Uh, uh, where they can go about their business, move around, maybe get you know get a little bit of food now and then throughout the throughout the um, late morning and whatnot. But uh, it but it also p- provides protection, so it's not just out in the open harvested grain field where they have very little protection. It might provide protection for from the the sun, the wind, snow, what have you. But uh, it's it's not it's not as thick of cover as their roosting cover. All right, and here's another one. I think this is one of the important, especially for bird hunters here in, in Nebraska and kind of on the Great Plains. Uh, you'll hear the term stubble field. In fact, we've got a whole guide that talks about stubble field access. Now, I'm going to pick on you just a little bit, uh, Hunter, because uh, you know this is something that you've probably heard but might not have experienced yet now that you're a new Nebraskan by choice. You know, when you hear the word stubble field, what are you thinking of? Um, I'm thinking of just a, a field of different, different grass and shrub types uh, that kind of, down to, sh- to struggle, you know. Yeah, he's, he's, he's spot on. You know, and in Nebraska, you're, you're generally thinking of wheat and milo, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's what we generally, th- those plants form a stem, of course, grow, uh, and they're grasses, right? And when we cut the heads off of those for harvest, what's left is the stem part, which is the stubble. And, uh, and that forms a really nice bed of, of, of loafing cover, feeding cover. Uh, can be really good early season for sure. Now, one thing that I remember growing up, Hunter, is that uh, corn stubble 
we spent some time in the corn stubble because there was plenty of weeds in there. Uh, there was yep. some that didn't quite get hit by the combine head or the picker uh, back at that time uh, quite right, and so you had a pretty good amount of, of cover. But now, I, yep, I'm with Jeff. It's it's that stubble from wheat oftentimes. Uh, it can be also from uh, that sorghum, and you're going to get to love those because they're an overlooked spot here in the state of Nebraska cut at the right height. Yep. They got birds. That just between you and me, though. All yeah, right, don't one. don't share that with anybody <laughs> yeah, else. Don't let that one out. Yeah, you mean yeah. the hunting Nebraska fans? So. Yeah, <laughs> we even have an entire guide to public stubble yeah. access here mm-hmm. in Nebraska. So outdoornebraska.gov, you can yep. find that. All right, we're going to switch gears again. Now we're going to go to a bird with webbed feet. We're going to go. With, we're going to kind of do ducks and geese together. We're going to do waterfowl here, uh, and we're going to start with ducks. All right, we're going to start with ducks. Uh, and we're going to go with uh, the decoys. Well, let's let's start general. Let's start general. Let's take a step back. Let's let's uh, let's come up with names. You've heard the decoys call because a lot of waterfowl hunting, both ducks and geese here in the state of Nebraska, are done over decoys, right? Uh, but they we've got a lot of names for them. As hunters, we call our decoys a whole bunch of things. Those those fake things that we try to use to uh, bring them close. So besides decoy hunter. You get first crack at it. We're going to see who gets the most of these right here. So you say one, and then Jeff, we'll see if he can come up with one, and then we'll we'll go back. So first one that comes to my mind is your spread or your your combination of your decoys. Oh, there you go. He took the whole thing. He got <laughs> more than one decoy in there. One there. Yep. <laughs> the spread. That's a good one. That's good. Yep. yep. What else? What do you got? What do you got? Oh no, uh, you got to give gonna, one. Now, don't let him do that to you. Uh, Deeks. Deek, um, yep, yeah. that's one deek. That's, that's you got to remember, I'm new to waterfowl yeah. hunting, so yeah, I haven't heard deeks, them all like you. Got your you. shells, your floaters, your rags, your bags, um, your socks. You know, there's a lot of things we call decoys. Yeah, it, that's a, that's a pretty good list. <laughs> Fakes, yeah, there Plastics, you go. <laughs> corks, <laughs> corks. I have not heard that one until the show just now. Yeah, a few new to me there too. <laughs> but uh, yeah. It, you know, the the shadows, the silhouettes you've already talked about, lots of different names for those full different bodies, things. And yeah. sometimes they actually, yeah, full body, sometimes they describe the whole decoy and what type of decoy it is and uh, what form it takes. Uh, but oftentimes it's just loving words for our, for our decoys that we like so much. All right, now we're going to get into uh, uh, ducks. We have the term drake and hen, which hunter means what? Male and female. Male and female. And and geese, Jeff, that's male and female still. <laughs> Goose gander. Goose and gander. There you go. I just wanted to see if he's paying attention. <laughs> it's still yeah, male and female. He was he? buying himself time right there. He was buying. So I'm going to ignore him for a little bit. And we're going to talk about non-toxic shot. Because upland bird hunting, we hear that from time to time, but not near as much as we do during uh, duck and goose hunts. It's something that's required uh, for our duck and goose hunt. So what is non-toxic shot? Yep, non-toxic shot is a non-lead shot, so steel, bismuth, and others um, that you you can only use during waterfowl seasons. Um, it's federally mandated at that. Um, and, and basically the purpose of that is lead shot lives in the environment for a long time, and if you're using lead shot on, on waterfowl, other predatory birds and and fish species that are exposed to that can can be killed from that. Um, so as hunters, it's, it's it's our responsibility to only use that non toxic shot when we're when we're hunting waterfowl, um, just to make sure we're not leaving that lead out there on the landscape for those other animals to consume. 
Good, yeah. good. Yeah, there good. was a concern that you know ducks were diving down and picking up that lead mm-hmm. and getting it in the crop. And of course, you know, not not doing them real good. Yeah, and uh, and then birds would eat those ducks and you know have those issues. And so uh, that that was a huge movement back in the '80s, and we've been we've been following that ever since and, and reducing those impacts over time. And it has has helped. I I know. Uh, and some of the big areas that we waterfowl hunt here in Nebraska and beyond. All right, moving on, we're going to get into calls. Now, we're going to start with ducks, and we'll move our way up to geese. Um, duck calls, Jeff. Yeah. I mean, we, we're trying to sound first and foremost like a hen mallard. Probably one of the more yeah, talkative, yeah. more heard. Well, the quack is the hen, right? <laughs> right. You know, the, the, the drakes are a whistle, the, the hen's a cra- the and, quack. And quack, we learned that ducks quack, you know, pretty early in life. I don't know if that was preschool, if our parents told us, but you could just kind of know. However, hunters have taken it to the nth degree, and they all of a sudden say, all right, I'm not just quacking. I'm doing a greeting call. I'm doing a highball. I'm doing a, yeah, a welcome. I, I, I'm doing we, a comeback a call. I'm doing yeah. all sorts of stuff. So let's start with the highball. Yeah, highball. The highball is simply when those ducks are way out there and we're trying to get their attention, we'll throw out a call that rarely a hunter has ever heard before from an actual duck, right? We call it the highball duck. I'm that, not sure we've ever heard it from a duck. <laughs> and that's that. And what that's doing is, is putting a long quacking call out there and getting those ducks to kind of give you a look. Maybe they'll see your decoys. Maybe they'll turn their heads. And actually, it, every once in a while, it works. And they turn and they start coming into your spread. And so that's the highball. And it, it, uh, uh, it, it's also a good way to see duck tails if you do it when they're too close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. it's a loud call. There's it's no doubt about call. it. It's, it's one of those things that they must think, boy, I think that's a duck. Does that sound like a duck to you? And then they just bring the whole flock a little closer to, to go. So greeting call. Let's let's bring this all the way down. What is a greeting call? Obviously not the high ball, no, no. so it's not as loud. It's but just what? taking the high ball down a little bit and giving kind of like a, you know, generally a five note quack, 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 quack. And, uh, and that's just a, you know, you know, letting you know that I see you, I notice you. And uh, it, it's it's pretty simple to do, and in uh, most, most duck hunters, uh, that's probably one of the calls they use the most, like quack, 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 quack. All right. What about the comeback call? The comeback call for 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 ducks. For ducks. I I never had to use it. Never. never had oh, to use, no, look no, at no, that! Did you see that? There. I got the greeting call <laughs> now. They come in all the time. Yeah. yeah. Back to my highball. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of those, and I think you could say the same because there's a comeback call for geese yeah, as well that yeah. we'll talk about here. I'm not sure. I'm not convinced anyway that any duck or goose has ever seen a flock up in the air not coming into them, and they're just begging for them to come back. I, I just don't know that that happens. I'm not not in the mind of those waterfowl, but that just yeah. I think that's us putting that that sound well, in there. By the time you're at a comeback call of any sort, things have gotten dire, <laughs> very very dire. Things have gone wrong. And it's not likely to work. Yeah. But it is one of those things, that, and this is where I learned a lot of these duck calling terms from Hunter is uh, calling competitions. Yep. And that's one of them that you have to know to, to grade well. Uh, all right, so this is one called the feeding chuckle. Again, this is one I kind of scratched my head. Have you heard a duck chuckle? I'd have to hear it from Jeff first. Well, yeah, Jeff <laughs> chuckles a lot. Yeah. So I'm a chuckler. Uh, you know, the, the, the feeding chuckle is that. And maybe a quack or two. And uh, the feeding chuckle, uh, there's debate as to when you people think they should be hearing it. You people hear it on the water. I've heard it on the water with ducks. But when they're feeding, they're not making a lot of noise usually. But if they're fighting or they're getting nervous a little bit about feed, I you know, might hear that chuckle. 
Uh, I know Hershey thinks he hears it when they're coming into the call. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that's when he hears it more than even on the water. Uh, I can't say I've heard it all that often that way, but it, it seems to be a call that when, when, when ducks are coming in and they're circling and you got you don't want to you want to highball them. You don't want to even do too much greeting call because you don't want to give your position away. You just sit there and just it just kind of keeps their attention uh, and, and lets them know, yep, these are these are birds having a good time down here. You want to be here. And so it's just kind of a, I call it a confidence call. To me, they're kind of confidence calls. It, it's kind of a soft call. So I, I can see that. Call. It's You're not going to scare them away by doing it by any means. But yeah, I definitely hear it more when they're, now it's one of those things you got, you can't be calling right at them in here because it's a pretty subtle call, but you can hear them while they're, especially bigger flocks moving around. I think it's almost a contact call between each of the, the ducks. Because, hey, point of reference, Hunter, when Jeff goes quiet, there's a good chance he's eating. I I mean that's <laughs> it's one of those things. I just don't that's think they make. It. There's a lot more. of oh, there's yeah. a lot of parallels yeah. between, I, yeah. there's between so many times humans I'm eating and ducks interrupted eating. by birds when I'm trying to eat. And it's just frustrating. It really. Is. <laughs> there's no decorum in the duck blind whatsoever. If birds are going to come in when you're eating, it's, yeah. and then people expect you to call, right? Well, you, you, you well, you know, it's not good. You think about your Thanksgiving dinner, which is just around the, the corner. You yeah, know, right. it's one of those things. Everyone's laughing, having fun, talking football, talking about what's going on, hunting, all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, meal served, and it goes quiet for just a little bit. And all you can hear is the knives on plates, uh, forks hitting the, the bowls, that type of stuff. So, all right, we're going to geese now. We're going to geese. And uh, uh, obviously, they honk. Yep. They honk, but oh. we couldn't just keep it at that. We couldn't, <laughs> as goose hunters, we couldn't just leave it at that. Uh, what are some of the the calls that we say geese make when we're at, or that hunters make to try to to bring those in, guys? The honk. Yep, the honk. The, the honk is is kind of what? What do you, what would you call the honk? Uh, kind of a greeting, kind of a yep, I recognize you. I'm just you know, hello, hello, and uh, geese up hot, you know, honk, one down low, honk, and they just. Excuse me. Have a have a you know, basic conversation forth, yeah. there. Yep, and and that can that can be just the uh, all it takes sometimes to get a goose honking back and forth to you, uh, and then go silent and come in. Uh, you know, of course, there's you know I call a moan now, and that moan can be deadly, especially when geese you know, are, are a little maybe a little call shy. The moan sometimes is all it takes to get them in there. Uh, goose grunt that. And that grunt is something we use a lot mm-hmm. when geese are when circling, uh, and you don't want to spook them. You don't want to give too much calls, uh, especially on water. And so you might just give them that little bit of groan or something. And so we'll use a groan to kind of get their attention, and and that can work real really well too. Uh, and again, confidence calls, the, the the moan or the groans are confidence calls. Uh, honks can be really good confidence calls. Uh, and then. Um, when they're slipping away, when they're the slipping comeback, away, that comeback call. call. You know, that's more of a, an excited, you know, almost, almost like screaming, begging for them to come back. And so instead of a honk, honk, it's honk, honk. It's kind of the opposite of a honk, really. You know, and and you're kind of you're kind of whining to them to, to come back, and uh, and and that really can get their attention. And, and that that whine, you know, you almost plead with them, don't leave, don't leave. And uh, you know, some birds I've seen it many times when we give that call, and I go to that call quite a bit because I see a lot of birds leaving. And uh, I give that call, and a lot of times I'll turn some birds around. Maybe not the entire flock, two or three birds turn around and come back. And again, they don't need to land. I just need them to come back and give us a look close enough to we can take our shot. And so uh, sometimes that'll work. But like I said before, when they're leaving, it's gone bad. <laughs> things, have, things have gotten dire. Now, and I will say, and we've heard that, like you said, the comeback call called a backwards honk almost. Yep, yep. Um, and like I said, it, to me, geese honk 
and there's variations of how we do it and how excited we get and all that stuff. And then you have that, the, the moan or the, the, uh, uh, the lay down, like you were talking about, kind of that, that grunting noise. Uh, they make some other noises too. We just don't usually hear them when they're flying as much. It, it doesn't uh, carry near as much. I know young ones, especially early in the year, kind of a, uh, kind of a nasally whistle thing that they'll do back and forth, back and forth with, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the adults in the group. And you'll hear that all the way through this season, uh, which is kind of fun. And to me, Ducks, yeah, they quack back and forth, but with geese, you're really talking to them. You really seem to be able to make some noise because ducks can sneak up on you. It's like, oh, there's some ducks, I think. And then you start hitting with the high ball and all that, where geese, it's a lot of times you hear them before you see them. Absolutely. It's like, did you hear that? That's a goose. I heard that. Yep. Yep, yep. And that that contact, that honk, when you contact back to them, or or even a series of honk, 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 and you get a conversation going with those geese, and sometimes you can take that conversation right into gun range. I mean, it it, it really is a dialogue, a conversation. Now, here's one that I'm going to toss out to both of you. This is one I think we're hearing a little bit less in the, the state of Nebraska, and that is a goose specific term and we sometimes will talk about dark goose and light goose so uh hunter dark goose and light goose did you use that where where you grew up um not commonly no um familiar a little more with it now uh, as of being out here but not a not too common of a term out in wisconsin Sure, sure so dark goose is dark goose is your Canada goose. Yep. Canada yep. goose. Brants be in yep. that as well. Brants and Canada's. Light goose is going to be your snow geese. Uh, and uh, where, do you put, where do you put specks? You know, in Nebraska, we put them in their own season. Yeah. We put them in the white-fronted goose yeah. season. Yeah. So if you do hear specks, that's another another term for uh, a white-fronted goose. Yeah. But we have their own season. But it is interesting. We don't see a lot of uh, um, brant here by no, any means no. i don't know that i've ever seen a brant in person in the interior but they do happen that's the beauty of uh of uh, waterfowl i mean and and you point out a great uh point jeff when it comes to nicknames waterfowl you know they live it i mean they do you know like you said specks which is a white fronted goose uh, speckle belly you yeah. know in ducks greenhead usually is mallard drake, drake mallard, mallard. Yep. yep susie yeah yep that's the hen yep that's the hen mallard yep. right there uh gray duck yeah and see, we, we, we throw all these things out there, woodies, you know, wood duck, and then we throw all these things out there. And then we wonder why people are confused what we're talking about sometimes, yeah. you know. And, uh, oh, I'm kind of scared because to join that, that, that group of, of distinguished ladies and gentlemen because, <laughs> you know, I maybe don't know that lingua. Well, these are the type, you know, just in the duck world, how, how, uh, how crazy it can get. Yeah. Yeah. And here's one I'm going to toss out there. We uh, really haven't rehearsed this one at all. This is one I tossed in on myself. Like I said, we've asked everyone, a lot of non-hunters, about these hunting terms that they hear that they don't know what it means. Uh, but I put this one in here because I think in waterfowl, especially here in Nebraska, we love to decoy ducks and geese, and it is a lot of fun. Uh, this is kind of a lost art, in my opinion, and that's the jump shoot. And it, it can be very productive. It's one of those things you don't need your deeks, your decoys, your spread, your fakes, your your whatever you want to call them. Uh, so we got to tell people what a jump shoot is. Did you do that in Wisconsin yeah, much? I think it's a little more common in Wisconsin. So jump shooting is, you know, you're sneaking up on, on birds that are already there, typically on smaller bodies of water, um, streams or creeks or, or, or ponds, and, and sneaking up on them and, and jumping them into a shot. Um, and obviously there's a little more safety concerns there because you're sneaking up on them instead of you waiting for them to come in. But 
it can be very effective strategy for hunting yeah. for oh, hunting absolutely. ducks if you're if you're yep. effective at it. And Jeff, we've kind of seen that maybe in snow geese during that that spring conservation order, probably a little bit more than anything. But I know I cut my teeth on wood ducks where they can be oh. the most antisocial thing. You put your decoys here and they're just automatically yeah. moving to the other yeah. end of the creek, yeah. the stream, the pond, whatever. And so uh, if you wanted to chase them on those really nice warm days that we get every once in a while in duck hunting, uh, you had to start moving and, and jump shooting because they would, they'd get right alongside that bank or under some fallen brush and oh, lots of fun. But jump shooting is, is a, an interesting one. Say the least. All right, now we've got a whole bunch more, and as if you're watching us on YouTube, you can see you got two whole pages here. Um, I might tie us out one or two more, but uh, I will say we got a whole section here just on turkeys. I know this isn't fair, Hunter, because you work for the National Wildlife Turkey <laughs> Federation, but we're going to save this one uh, because yeah, we got plenty of opportunities to hunt fall turkeys here in the state of Nebraska. But this is really gets interesting, uh, and a lot of the terms people hear during turkey hunts or from turkey hunters come from the spring which is uh, a little bit more popular across uh, much of the Great Plains and, and uh, Midwest as, as fall turkey is. Uh, so we're going to probably leave that for a, another show. But I got a question. What are some of the terms that uh, either deer hunting, pheasant, waterfowl, or just general hunt terms you guys have heard people use or maybe have used yourself that you think people might not uh, know exactly what it is if they don't hunt? Good question. You know, something big in, in Wisconsin that – kind of a tradition is doing deer drives and, and oh. i don't know how big and that deer is. don't drive we all know that right, <laughs> right. i mean we're not we know that. not supposed to they're not supposed to that's right not supposed to yeah what is a deer drive deer drives um when you kind of have a group of hunters and you're could be anywhere from three or four to maybe even ten if you're hunting a big piece of property and and you have your your drivers or your walkers that are going to be walking through the woods or through the fields um and then your standers or sitters that are going to be sitting down on the other end waiting for you to push and, and jump deer to you. Um, so it's takes takes a little bit of planning to make sure you're doing it safe again, but uh, just a, another way to move deer instead of sitting in a stand or, or still hunting or stalking them. You're, you're actively moving those deer um, towards your, your standers or your shooters in hopes of a, of a harvest and a good, a good way to get deer moving on a windy day um, where they might be bedded down where you really have to step on them to get them to get them up and moving. Um, so just another strategy for sure. for deer hunting. Yeah. Yeah. Tried and true. Jeff, right. you got any terms? Well, no, rattling. You know, people call rattling. it rattling deer. That's what well, my truck does. Yeah, well, that's, that's what all of our trucks do, I think. But rattling deer, you know, we're not actually rattling the deer, but deer, of course, have antlers. Those antlers are made for a purpose, and that major purpose of those antlers is to fight other deer for the dominance, pecking order, right to breed and whatnot. And uh, hunters, we, we find those antlers and we, we uh, grind them together and make all kinds of clacking, rattling type noises, and that simulates two bucks fighting. Of course, when you're talking about animals that uh, have a hierarchy or a pecking order and there's one, one that might have more dominance over the others, they hear two bucks fighting in their territory, they a lot of times just come running and to, uh, towards you. And so rattling is a tried and true method of, of uh, bringing in deer. It works really well, especially, you know, as we get into this early November, yeah, you're probably taking the next two weeks, the best two weeks for rattling in the entire calendar, you know, early November through the middle. All right. I'm going to toss this one out, too, to you, Jeff, because we are a deer check-in state. So uh, you do here, especially during the November firearm season, I got to check the deer. I got to check Got to check my deer and all that type of stuff. Now that non-hunter or even the new hunter, just like, what are you checking your deer for? I mean, 
right. yeah, make sure it's all I'll help you. I'll help you. Are we <laughs> yeah. counting hooves yeah, or something? Yeah. So what does it mean to check sure, your deer? Sure. Well, as soon as your deer's down, you know, the first thing you're going to do is, is cancel your tag. And that's another term I know, but you make your tag, uh, you, you, you cancel your tag, to, you identify the date and the sex of the animal uh, that that was harvested. And then you take that deer later that day or what have you to a check station and uh, during the firearm season. And that's where we have staff, biologists, whatnot uh, there. It'll be a gas station, could be, you know, whatever uh, the case may be, small towns all across the state and uh, parking lots, whatnot. And uh, you'll take your deer to that check station and our biologists will look over the deer and look at for they're, and they're looking for a, a number of things uh we're talking about pretty trained staff and they're looking overall health just at glancing at the deer for its health uh they may take samples from the deer uh depending on what they're looking for glands or whatnot um and then of course they're going to uh ask you some basic questions where did you harvest the deer what county how many days did you hunt some basic information so that they can they can track success rates and they can track deer health and then they're going to affix a state seal to that carcass uh and that's a that's a kind of a metal ribbon if you will that once it's locked it can't unlock uh and on the antler or the leg or what have you and that tells everybody from that point on that that deer has we've gotten the data off that deer it's been officially checked in and now that deer is you're able to take it to a processor and uh, have them have them turn that beautiful carcass into jerky there you go the november firearm season our most popular deer season here in nebraska is when you have to Check that deer in at the, the station. You can find those on our website, OutdoorNebraska.org. Now, last one, Hunter. This is one of the trickier ones, I really think. I really think, and it, sometimes I scratch my head on the best way to describe this to new hunters or those uh, that have been around for a while, in fact. Uh, and that's bag limit versus possession limit. And every state has a bag limit and a possession limit. Uh, oftentimes. So that's something that hunters, regardless if you're in Nebraska or beyond, you're going to have to know what that is. So let's start with bag limit. Yep. Daily, daily bag limit is your, just the number of animals and it's, it's going to be further restricted by sex or um, species that you can take in one day. So um, in Nebraska, the, the daily bag limit uh, for rabbits, I believe, is 27, or seven, sorry. So seven. Ooh, 27, so I could, we just so, got. So, big, so, yeah. so, <laughs> so one day out, if I'm out rabbit hunting, I could I could harvest seven rabbits. Um, and then your possession limit is going to be the total aggregate amount of, of that species that you can have in your possession at one time. So as soon as you, you consume that animal, you're no longer in possession of it. Um, but if, if I hunted four days in a row and, and shot seven rabbits a day, I'd be at my 28 aggregate so possession limit math again yeah, so. he's, he's, <laughs> my goodness he's a champ on the math there's no question about so it. I, and i think that's the huge part bag limit usually that daily just one boom it has to do with time and then possession how yeah. throughout the season that's the number uh, fair chase and all that good stuff so that's good all right guys we kind of come to the end of this one i know we got a whole bunch more we could get into but we're not here we might leave those for some other uh hangouts uh, here on hunt nebraska so i appreciate you guys both being here First and foremost, Uh, and folks uh, out there in listening land, make sure you get on our Facebook page, Hunt Nebraska. If you've got a term or a a little bit of hunter lingo that you want to know the answer to or know the answer to, post it right there on Hunt Nebraska. Make sure you give us a a like there and follow and see everything that's going on because hunting season is on us, and we've got a lot of great content going on there. And make sure you stop by, rate this podcast on whatever Uh, audio platform you're making use of and subscribe give us a follow because you'll know then the next time we drop our our next hunt nebraska podcast so appreciate you guys listening out there we'll see you on the next side 
Hunt Nebraska, brought to you by your Nebraska Game and Parks Commission.